And this is View of the Valley's podcast with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, all things considered. You know, with the happenings of the past couple of weeks, I think things are getting pretty highly emotional in our in our everyday lives. So hopefully we can kind of give our listeners a, an escape here and hope for better days in the future and uh, think about uh, the potential basketball season coming up. Yeah, as you said, there there's a lot of stuff going on right now. And, you know, with not being able to watch, you know, many sports, hopefully this will be an, an escape to where you can just, you know, sit back and listen to some uh, college basketball talk. During today's episode, we will give you our thoughts on the Missouri Valley and Ohio Valley schools playing non-Division I teams. Uh, former SIU Edwardsville head basketball coach Lennox Forrester joins the show to talk about some of the transitions from Division II to Division I basketball. And towards the end of the show, we will do our Mount Rushmore on Eastern Kentucky and Illinois State. But first things first, TJ, what is your opinion on the Missouri Valley Conference playing non-Division I teams during their non-conference slate? I think from a coaching perspective, it's a great tool for our coaches to use in order to make sure they're fine-tuning their team, working on some things. You know, you talk about in practice, you have your scout team or the kids that are, you know, playing as your second team. But do they really how – do, how do our kids react when the other team doesn't know what's coming? I know scouting is huge, but you always talk about in practice, like, oh, yeah, that scout team All-American. Like, well, of course you stole that pass. You knew where the, the play was supposed to go. Which teams are going to know that on the road? But you want to get a different look at somebody else. I think schools also, the coaches talk like, hey, here are some things – we'd like you to work on so that or to show us defensively so that we can work against that and here's the things that we're going to kind of do so i think maybe one division two game is is good for that program i don't like the idea of playing a division three program i think you know southern illinois played illinois wesleyan last year was great for the wesleyan kids i don't know how much benefit it was for the siu kids as well and of course these have become more prominent in the past few years because it used to be they would do these exhibition games and they would be on their schedule one that stands out to me is athletes in action there was former players uh former college athletes sure. that were playing basketball and they would go around and play some of these schools and for whatever reason i don't know the details or the politics of it the ncaa has shut that down is probably to give if i were to guess complete guess here to give the division two kids schools and division three schools an opportunity to play some superior talent and showcase their programs as well what do you think about it so to me, it's not a bad thing to play, you know, maybe one of those games a year. But I know you see, especially in the Ohio Valley, at least that I remember, more times than not, a lot of these Ohio Valley schools are going to have two of those non-Division One schools during their schedule. And yeah, it's it's good to have them on there because you can, you can work on certain plays that maybe you don't get a run in practice because maybe you're down a couple guys during a given week for whatever the reason it may be. But to play two of them, I think, is a stretch because it's not really benefiting benefiting you going forward. Yeah, it's a game, but the level of competition is not going to be nearly the same as it would be you know, playing a Purdue, playing a Power 5 school that's going to prepare you for your conference schedule. Now, if you want to get a game in that you, know, you just want to add a win to your schedule, then then put a game on there against a division one team that's near the bottom of the 357 schools, you know, that win will mean more than playing some division two school that maybe gets 10 wins in a 
season. Now, if I'm not mistaken, I don't think the NCAA committee considers those Division Two, Division Three games. They're, they're basically they don't exist. So I guess on that level, even if you do lose that game, it doesn't really hurt you. But even though everybody will know about it, as opposed to playing somebody from a lower level conference, you lose that game. Now it, it definitely counts against you. And you're trying to always work on your your rating. So is it a quad one win? Is it a quad two win? Well, if you lose that game, and you know somebody else was expecting you to be a quad two or a quad three game, you know how does that hurt your stock in the future? Trying to play those P fives. Well, it's funny that you say that. Yeah, those games aren't factored into your, you know, but if you're on the bubble, if you will, or whatever the case may be. But it also gives you one of the mind games. Like, yeah, it's not you're not considered um, in the in the group if you get a win against a Williams Baptist or whoever. But if you lose that game. You're still technically not, con- you know, it, it doesn't affect you, but maybe it really does affect right. you. I yeah. mean, I'm, I guarantee behind closed doors, you know, committees talk about yeah. that. Anytime you have a subjective basis and that's selecting it, you know, based on your appearances or your interpretation of it, that's got to play a role. I mean, it's kind of like an FCS team defeating an FBS team. You know, that's that's going to play a role in, you know, how you vote for them when it comes to polls and things like that. So that's definitely a factor. But what a thrill it's got to be. I know McKendry went to Drake, I think it was two years ago, to play up there on the Missouri Valley side. Fontbon went and played, which Fontbon's a D3 school, but they went and played at Missouri State. One thing I didn't realize until a former player at Fontbon pointed out to me is that the Division three level, they don't play with the media timeouts. So they go to Missouri State and they think they're kind of getting into a flow. All of a sudden, horn blows and there's a timeout. They're like, "Well, nobody called timeout." They're like, "Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> every four minutes we're stop and play." And that's you know that's a difference for those kids to adjust to, even though you think it might be something small. Sure. If you've played, you think you finally get into a groove, especially in a facility like that. So that, that, I mean, for those kids, I think it's a great opportunity as well. Well, I, I do think it is a good opportunity for you know the guys that are playing D two D three because they get to go play in that Division one environment. Now it for whatever the school that you're playing it may not be a sellout there may not be it may not be like playing at kansas where there's so many fans you know you may be playing at a lower mid-major school where there may only be 500 fans there but it still gives you i guess maybe a cycle for psychological purposes hey we're playing at a d1 campus right now against players that are division one talent and you gotta think those kids that play in d2 have a chip on their shoulder, feel like they've got something to prove, they're going to give you all they can for as long as they can to prove like, hey, I should have been playing here. I think that there's something to be said for that. You have your second string guys that maybe you don't always get that or you're not sure what that is, but now you get those other kids that are in there. They're giving you everything they've got. You know, Maybe it only lasts half. Maybe it lasts two-thirds of the game, but you're getting a heck of an effort out of a team that sometimes makes up for that lack of speed, that lack of uh, skill sometimes. Yeah, I agree. And you can basically use that concept for even just outside of basketball. You take that to football for like the FCS level. I mean, you see time and time again that there are FCS programs that put together great winning seasons in consecutive years. And they like, we can go compete with some of these FBS schools. And I think one not too long ago was Appalachian State. They were at the FCS level and now they're at the FBS level and they've been ranked. Right. So... Yep. Yeah, I, I like that idea. But with that, let's go ahead and bring in Coach Lennox Forrester as he is on the phone. 
All right, we are joined by Coach Lennox Forrester, former college basketball coach at SIU Edwardsville. Coach Forrester, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, thank you, and thanks for uh, this opportunity to having me on. Absolutely, not a problem at all. Uh, to get things started, just kind of like to know what the transition was like going from Division Two to independent and then basically to Division One basketball, being a member of the Ohio Valley Conference. You know what? I, it was a very interesting um, transition, and and, um, and and to be honest with you, uh, I, I looked at it as a as a great honor. Um, you know, to be able to uh, be the, one of the few coaches in the country, you know, to ever has go, ever have to go through a a, um, a situation like that, you know, uh, transitioning. Uh, but one thing that I that a model that I um, that I kind of uh, abide by during the uh, whole process was enjoy the process, you know, sure. enjoy and, and work each and every day, you know, to, to get better and to better the program and the institution from an athletic standpoint. Uh, I thought it was a great opportunity because, you know, you you were around some guys, some student athletes that were one. We always try to make sure that they're first class individual that's going to represent the university university themselves and uh, their family and community in the in the in a first class manner um that's at least that's what you hope it didn't always turn out that way but that, that's at least you owe you know but you got some young man that was very dedicated and very committed um to to change and and transition you know from division two to division one knowing that at the end of the season at the end of their playing career they weren't going to be able or have a chance to play in the postseason play and a lot of them went through, but they've they've really, you know, put in the the blood and, and blood and sweat and tears into that program, knowing that you know they weren't going to get the the accolades, the the awards, you know, at the end of the season. So it was a it was a pretty very you know it was a great um, experience experience, and I'm glad I was able to experience that because it really humbles you. But at the same time, you know, you just see it as a great opportunity to, to make a change for other um, student athletes to come in and and uh, help put that university on the on the map. So being a show about the Ohio Valley and Missouri Valley conferences, obviously you have experience in both of those. What stands out to you about what you really liked about coaching in the Ohio Valley Conference? Well, I'll tell you what, you know, the Ohio Valley Conference, hopefully, and I know it has over the over the years and obviously with John Moran playing, playing there last year, took it to uh, another level as far as, um, you know, people to understand how good the the OVC um, conference is, you know, and, and I would always brag when I was coaching at SIUE how the OVC put so many players, even though they weren't coming from SIUE, but, but put so many players in the NBA because of the level of competition. You know, it was, uh, the OEC has good coaches. I mean, it's competitive, it's good coaches. We may not get all the publicity like a, a, a lot of different conferences, but I'll tell you what, it was a great conference and I really enjoyed, you know, competing every day against some, some top-notch coaches. Um, you know, because they were well prepared. I thought teams were well coached, and it's a very, very fun league. And I, so I really, really enjoyed it. Okay, and I guess along some of the same line here, um, kind of a two-part question: What was your favorite place to play at in the Ohio Valley Conference? And 
I guess, give me your, I guess, who was the hardest player to guard in the Ohio Valley while you were there coaching? Well, I'm going to tell you this. The, the, my favorite place to play in the Ohio Valley Conference was at home. <laughs> at SIUE, where we coach. And if you look at our record, I, I think we had a pretty good, great record, you know, at home, but just struggled to play on the road. You know, so that's my favorite place because I thought we had some great fans that came out and really did a good job, in, you know, supporting our guys and supporting the team and rally around in the, in, in the, in the community to help make us better. So that's my favorite favorite spot to play um i know probably you were looking for somewhere on the road but i'm just gonna tell you <laughs> home was home was where it was uh one of the toughest player um i think we ever had to guard uh was uh, uh the freed kid that would that played at um at uh moorhead state well, you Kenneth, know Kenneth i mean he was he was just tremendous and, and i know um uh, Murray State has some great guards and Isaiah Cannon and Perrine and, and all that. But I, I just thought Fareed was just, you know, off the chart because he was so big. He was so athletic. And I thought he could do whatever he wanted whenever he wanted to. And we didn't have enough players on the floor to double team him whenever he touches the ball. But uh, <laughs> uh, but I thought thought that he was one of the the, the, the toughest players uh, we had to guard in the um, in the OVC conference. I think that would be a real tough assignment for as as fluid as that kid was. He played so many positions on the floor for Moorhead State during those years. Most certainly, yeah, he was most a, certainly he was a double double machine. It seemed like game in and game out. Oh, he was, he was. I, you know, he played there. I remember one game being at being at home, and matter of fact, we were we just came off of a road loss and we got beat by by Iowa at at sixty, <laughs> and 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 we're coming home and we're playing Moorhead State and they had you know, uh, Fareed, and then they had another guard, and I can't remember his name off the off the bat, and I challenged my team. I said, hey, whoever can block, get a foul, block in Fareed out, you know, you don't have to run sprints the next time, and I'm going <laughs> to give you a high five. And sure enough, we had a, we had a tough um, young man, uh, Kevin Steinman, and, and he just kind of laid Fareed out on a, on a block out and, uh, and picked up a foul. And I called Kevin over and I said, what are you doing? And he looked at me and said, coach, you said whoever, whoever could block him out, even if you pick up a foul, <laughs> you give him a high five and, and don't have to do sprints. I said, and you know what? And you got it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but, uh, but they end up, he ended up scoring, I believe, uh, 25 and had 20-something rebounds and the other kid scored 35. And they end up beating us at, at home, but uh, but no, I, I thought you know, like I said, he was he was very tough to guard, and um, but you know, again though, it it uh, the OVC I thought and still is you know a really really good conference to be in. So, with your experience in both the Ohio Valley and the Missouri Valley Conference, what did you see as some of the similarities and even the differences between the two leagues, whether it be the level of player, the facilities, or just the camaraderie of the coaching staffs? Well, you know, I think, you know, um, when you look at facility wise, the uh, Missouri Valley um, is is uh, better than the OVC in, in that regard. Uh, when you look at coaching um, and you look at talent level, they're very, very similar. And one of the things that I would always say about when I was uh, coaching in the um, uh, OVC conference, we'd always compare it to the Missouri Valley Conference in the the, the number of players that went on to uh, to the NBA and playing any NBA, 
And there was a stretch there where, where the OVC in the last five or six years had, more, had put more players in the NBA than it did uh, the Missouri Valley. And, um, you know, so when you look at those, I thought the talent level was, was very similar. Um, but when you talk about facility-wise, the Missouri Valley, uh, I thought, was head and shoulders above the OVC in facilities. Um, and, um, and from a coach's standpoint, I thought, man, I thought they were both, you know, just great coaches. You know, when you look at, uh, teams across the, the board for the OVC and teams across the board for, um, the Missouri Valley, there are some good coaches at that mid-major level. So I guess, uh, moving on from a little bit of the OVC and Missouri Valley, um, now, with you coaching in both of them conferences, is there anything you're doing right now to stay around the game of basketball? Well, you know, so uh, obviously working for the Y, we have our youth basketball league, which is which is great. You know, I mean, we we start really young, and um, and it just so happened that I, I coached uh, two teams this past winter. One was a, a fourth grade team, um, the, and the other one was a was a sixth grade team. So, you know, talking about me coaching, you know, pretty much grown men. When when you talk about uh, college age kids to now, you're talking about fourth and, and sixth grader. It um, it just it, it made me feel good knowing that I had I still have the opportunity to um, teach um, you know, youth and, and help make a difference, help be a mentor, help make a difference in how you coach them, how you, you want them to compete, how you want them to prepare for things. I thought that, you know, those are the things that still keep me into the game. Also during the off season, I've had the opportunity to coach some uh, local guys that I've gone on to college, but when they come back during the, during the, um, summer, you know, they come to the Y and I'll work them out. And there's some, actually there's, there's few high school kids that I, I will sometime work out in the mornings before they go off to schools. Um, you know, and it's just, it, it, I don't charge for it. It's just, it's just fun for me. I had one, of, I had one of the players that's working out right now. He texted me the other day and said, Hey, thanks. And thanks for the opportunity uh, to be able to come over to the Y and, and work out with you. And I said, no, thank you for giving me the opportunity and trust me, it means more to me than probably does to you that I'm able to do something like that. But those are a few things that I do to still, you know, keep uh, involved with the, with the, with the game of basketball that I love very passionately. It's really amazing sometimes the the kindred spirits that you can find, the relationships you can build from something like a sport of basketball. I know I have one of my best friends that will go months without seeing each other. We'll start talking about hoops right away, and then it just kind of goes like we haven't missed a day at all. And that's always a lot of fun, even with former players and former coaches. Oh, most certainly. And I'll tell you what, as the year goes by, the stories get, get better. You know what I mean? It used to be you hit like three threes, straight threes in the corner. Then by year two and three, it's it, it's up to six straight. You know, so but but that's the great thing about sports, I, I think. And you can see it, you know, during this time of where, you know, you have the COVID-19 and everything got shut down and people had to quarantine how much they missed and how, how much they miss sports and what does sport mean to a whole lot of people. You know, and it wasn't just the ones that were involved with it, but also the ones that got a chance to watch it because it, it to me, I felt like it took you away from the the reality of, of, of our world at times. And I remember when I used to play back in college 
you know, I could go be going through a, a bad time, whether it was thinking about maybe a girlfriend breakup or, or whatever it may be, or a bad grade, or my mom yells at me or coach yelled at me, but you get on that basketball court and man, all that is out the window, you know, and for that time that you're playing, practicing or shooting around, you know, nothing matters except for that ball going through the basket. And I think that's a great thing about sports, you know, to where you, you, you definitely see it and, and no more so than now with the, with the COVID-19 and going through that, uh, that, that we can see how tremendous of a, of, 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 um, of a resource that, that sports is to our country. All right, Coach. Well, wrapping up here, one thing we'd like to start asking all of our guests is thinking back to your OVC days. You're on the road. Did you have a favorite place that you liked to go eat or that you looked forward to go to eat when you were at that specific place? Oh, you know what? Um, when we, we I, I'll tell you this. So when we, we when we first transitioning, you know, we obviously had a budget and the budget wasn't big. Um, you know, so... Trust me, Golden Corral was, <laughs> I, I found out how good Golden Corral is. And, you know, you pay your $10 or whatever it is, and man, you can get as much as you can, you know, you can to eat. So I always look forward to it because, hey, you didn't have to order just chicken and have chicken. Uh, you can have chicken, steak, shrimp, whatever you wanted to. So I always look forward to, um, you know, being on the road and being able to hit up some Golden Corral for some, and pretty good food as well. But, but, uh, but you got a selection of a whole lot of food to eat from. Now, being on a budget, did you make sure you timed your trips so that if the lunch ended at four o'clock, that you guys got there at three fifty, paid the lunch price, and then they started bringing the dinner stuff out as soon as you guys were out there? Hey, we try that. Not every time it would match up, but uh, we sure did. <laughs> <laughs> I think some of the restaurants were ready to kick us out because our guys really could could eat as well as as I could, you know. But uh, but again, though, yeah, you know, you always have to look for ways to. Um, to get whatever you're budgeted for in and still feel satisfied and, and, um, and, and being able to get what you want out of it. Well, I tell you what here to wrap this up, um, you know, me growing up, I was a Southeast Missouri state fan cause my brother-in-law played basketball there in the early two thousands. So, you know, us living pretty close to SIU Edwardsville, you know, we'd always go up for the SEMO and SIUE game in Edwardsville. And I can't tell you how many times I left there disappointed because you guys came away with a with a win. It seemed like every time Simo played at Edwardsville, they were always good games, but you guys always came out on top. It seemed like. You know what? It, it's funny because with sports, it's it's um it's it, it's like that. You know, you could play at some place, and I, for whatever reason, and it's kind of year after year. You know, there there it's just hard to win at certain places. You know, um, it was hard. For, well, like I said, we, we really ever won on the road when I was coaching there, but it was it was hard to win. I think only about a couple of times we won at SEMO. It was hard to win at Belmont. We never won at Murray State. You know, we won. Utah. You know, so it was there are certain places. And, and that's the great thing about sport. Even even the great teams, there's there's always a team that they just have a hard time beating for whatever reason it may be and it could be different players the following year but the but the but it's kind of the same outcome is that man it's just it's just a hard place to play at it's a hard place to win at and that's the beauty of sports absolutely well i, I tell you what uh it, it was really great having you on coach forrester um you really brought a different aspect to the to the show and you know giving us your thoughts on the transitioning from 
Division two to independent and basically your you know your coaching career. And we're glad to see you're staying around the game of basketball and uh, staying active with that. Yep. Thanks a lot, Coach. No, for, I, I, uh, thank you. On. Thank you guys so much. And again, appreciate the uh, opportunity and and having me on this afternoon. Yep. We really appreciate it, Coach. Thank you. Thank you. And just wanted to give a special thanks to uh, Coach Lennox Forrester for uh, him taking time out of his day to come on and uh, do an interview with us. We thought it was a very, uh, very good interview. Yeah, you could tell that he really treasured the relationships and the partnerships that he'd built up over his time in coaching. And good to hear that he's still in the game, involved at the Y and uh, things like that. So special thanks again to him for giving us his time. So we're going to move on into our Mount Rushmore segment. TJ will have Illinois State while I will be doing Eastern Kentucky. Uh, I'll go ahead and go first here, TJ, with one of my my Eastern Kentucky. First guy is Nick Mayo. This is a guy that basically just saw his time end in the Ohio Valley. Played from 2015 to 2019. Uh, First in points with over 2,300. Averaged 18.7 points per game. He's sixth on the all-time rebounding list at Eastern Kentucky with 834 rebounds. OVC freshman of the year, and now this is a kind of a honor that not many people ha- have. He was first team all OVC all four years. Wow, so that's f- pretty impressive. No matter what league you're in, yeah, that you're all conference four years in a row. Freshman to senior all four years, and he has also signed a contract with the Chiba Jets, a Japanese team. Oh, that's fantastic! You always love to see it when those guys can transition and play a little bit. Play just a little bit longer. Yep. You know, we always hear that at some point someone's going to cut you from a team. They're going to tell you that your playing days are over and you get to go and play overseas and experience something that you're 20 something years old. I always, that sounds like a dream come true. I mean, obviously, all those guys dream to be in the NBA, but definitely something else to do there. Oh, yeah. And you're still getting paid to do what you love. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Illinois State, I think. Uh, you talk about Mount Rushmore. This is the George Washington of Mount Rushmore for Illinois State. The conversation begins absolutely with Doug Collins. First team consensus All-American in 1973. 1972 Olympic team, which of course had the controversial loss to the USSR in the Munich Games, which is still chaos. I don't know if you have ever seen the piece. I believe it's on ESPN that those guys of the 72 team have refused to pick up their silver medals. From those from those Olympic Games, and I've even known there's at least one guy. I remember, I forget his name now. Has it written into his will that his heirs are not to claim his silver medal? They are still that upset about it. I mean, that's what? a that's I understand, wow. but that's next level of holding a grudge and I'll just say. that disappointment. Um, Doug Collins is still the school's all-time leading scorer. Scored 2,200 points in only 77 games. And I think he's up by about 250, 300 points. He's the only Redbird with his number retired. His, the court at Redbird Arena is named after him. Now, here's the pop quiz question for you. Okay. He's a Southern Illinois native. The floor at his high school is also named for him. Do you have any chance of naming which Southern Illinois high school he attended? Oh, geez. Uh... It is a school you will have heard of. It's not like we're picking up some nondescript high school can i get a hint uh 1a 2a uh i think they're 2a right now they're in the uh, river to river conference in southern illinois i don't even know who's in that conference but i'll take a stab here uh pinckneyville close it's benton benton which is right there off of interstate 57 in southern illinois so, okay yeah uh and that's a great facility too he was a 
He was the first overall draft pick by the Philadelphia 76ers, a four-time NBA All-Star, and coached four different NBA teams, which, of course, we all now know now that he coached Michael Jordan with the Chicago Bulls and famous for the uh, the statement, like, what was, what was the play there, coach? Like, get the ball to Michael and get the heck out of the way. And I <laughs> paraphrase there for our listeners because I know my son's listening to this show, but you know, that's great coaching right there. What do you do? I gave it to my best player and told everyone else to get the heck out of the way. <laughs> that's it. I mean, straight to the point. Yep. So who's second on your list over there? Uh, second on my list for Eastern Kentucky is Matt Witt. Played at Eastern Kentucky from 2002 to 2006. He's second in points with over 1,800 points. Averaged 15.5 points per game throughout his time as a colonel. Second in assists with 630. He's also top 10 on the three-point field goal list. So top 10, but he's actually leading the top 10 list in three-point field goal with 283 in his career. He was the OVC Freshman Player of the Year during 2002-2003, and he was also second-team All-OVC twice. So <laughs> this one kind of threw me for a loop. He was second-team All-OVC twice, but with him being as good as he was at Eastern Kentucky, being high up on that list, it I did not see that he was ever a first-team All-OVC, which kind of really surprised me. Yeah, I wonder if that was a really talent-rich era for the OVC. Maybe that's something that came into play there. You're obviously more familiar with it than I am, but you never know sometimes what gets guys on those teams and other times that they don't. And sometimes it's just a, a crossover of health and longevity. Yeah. You, know, you play for four years, maybe you're a little bit higher up on those lists. And I think the rules changing, you know, the guys I've consistently looked at, you have a guy like Doug Collins played 77 games. Part of that is he couldn't play as a freshman sure. because of the freshman rule then. And now you get guys who are playing 130 games. That's that's, yeah, that's twice as many games. I mean, that's, that's you know, a six-year career as opposed to a three-year career for somebody like Doug Collins. Yeah, it's a big difference. Yep. Second on my list is Jackie Carmichael. Jackie played from 2009 to 2013. I didn't see a lot of awards for Jackie's um, career at Illinois State, but he's still the school leader in block shots. He's third on their rebounding list, and he's eighth in scoring. He's still playing professionally in Europe, and while he was at Illinois State, he led the Redbirds to two NIT berths. Uh, so, you know, I think he's playing in France. That was what I uh, saw this as his latest program that he's a part of, but I thought filling up the stat sheets like that, that deserved a good place on there. So that was my second guy. Who do you have? Now, I always remember him because that was during a time where I know you're big in the Missouri Valley tournament, but me and my dad would always go down for at least one of the mm -hmm. one of the days. And I think every time we were there, Illinois State was playing. And that was one of the few names I'd always remember, like Carmichael for two, Carmichael for three. Like you would always hear his name being over the intercom. But number three on my list, Eddie Bodkin played at Eastern Kentucky from 1963 to 66. So we're going back a little bit here. Uh, seventh in points on the all-time list with nearly 1,600. He averaged 21.1 points per game. Seventh in rebounds with 812. He was first team All-OVC twice. He was also inducted into the Eastern Kentucky Hall of Fame during the 2007 year. And after his playing career at Eastern Kentucky, he was drafted by the Chicago Bulls with the 30th pick in the 1966 NBA draft. So now that's going back a little bit. Um, but being in the top 10 for, you know, points and rebounds and first team all OVC twice, 
and a guy that averaged over 20 points per game for his career. I mean, to me, that was to be that high on the list. 45, well, shoot, 55 years after you graduated yeah. is pretty impressive. The kind of numbers that you had to put up with. And of course, you take into consideration no three point shot. And as we said earlier, couldn't play as a freshman, things like that. Third on my list is a name I hope is familiar to all Illinois State fans. I hope you agree with this one is Rico Hill. Rico played with the Redbirds from 95 to 98. Actually, the last two times that they went to the NCAA tournament were Rico's junior and senior year. He is a Larry Bird winner, won it in 1998. He's the only Illinois State basketball player that made the MVC Top 50. Now, that came out in 2007. Doug Collins was not playing in the MVC. I believe they were independent during Doug's years. So he's the only member that is on that team or on that list. He was drafted in the second round by the L.A. Clippers, but he never did make an NBA team. He's played quite a while in Europe. He was a two-time conference champ, two-time MVC tournament champ. So that led them to two NCAA tournaments. And then even his first year, they played in the NIT. So all all three years that he was there, they played in the postseason all three years. And just a phenomenal player to watch play. Kind of what you think of as one of the heydays of Illinois State basketball. So he's a big part of why they had some uh, pretty good winning seasons. Right, back I think then. that's the Kevin Stallings era. Okay. And I remember some real wars that they would have on ESPN. We only had one ESPN. It was, <laughs> you know, way before the days of the Ocho and stuff like that. But Illinois State and Southern Illinois playing on uh, ESPN, probably like a ten o'clock start for those programs, a ten p.m. start, boys and girls. And but you stayed up to watch it because oh, yeah. this is the one time that your school was going to be on there. So you know, Kevin Stallings is a local product for us as well. Sure. So the last guy on my list is Orlando Johnson. His time at Eastern Kentucky was from 1991 to 1995. And this is a guy that found himself in the top 10 in more than a couple um, categories. He was top five in points with 1,617. He averaged over 14 points per game. Fifth in assists with almost 400. And he was more than just an offensive player. He was ninth in steals with 153. So not only could he score and also get his teammates involved with assist, he was just as good defensively. And you don't see that happen all that often. A guy that that can shoot, pass, and play defense. Um, he was also eighth in three-point field goals made, and he always wanted to be at the free throw line. Second best free throw percentage in Eastern Kentucky history, 85.9%. And you can shoot free throws. That's going to get you on the floor late in games. You know, coach is going to put you in there. You might have that guy that scores 30 points a game but can't hit a free throw. And he always manages to find that guy. <laughs> yep. Because the coach is like, how did he catch him? He wasn't like – but you get that guy in there. Hopefully he gets fouled and, you know, go to the free throw line get some of those free points because that has become a huge part of the game is that you can knock down free throws late in the game. Oh, it has. Um, he was also first team all OVC from 93-94 season, I must add. But going back to your uh, free throws – I remember we went down to SEMO, um, going off topic just a bit, um, for a game. And when Dickie Nutt was the head coach there, mm-hmm. me and my brother-in-law were talking to some of the radio guys down there. And they said, hey, John, have you met the new uh, head coach yet? And he goes, no, I hadn't. And so I'll oh, we'll bring him over here and we'll introduce you to him. And as he was walking over, you know, they were getting introduced. And he goes, you got any years of eligibility left? And he goes, <laughs> oh, yeah, I got, I think, one. He goes, 
can you shoot free throws? Because right. we need all the help we can get from the foul line. Right. And it's just one of those things as a coach that, you know, you miss free throws and, you know, you know, people are in the stands that I've even heard it like, oh, they should practice free throws. You're like, as a coach on the side, like, oh, dang it. That's what we didn't do. We yeah. haven't been shooting free throws. <laughs> we didn't set up practice, make sure that we're shooting them. It, it's just one of those things that, you know, a kid can go out and shoot a thousand free throws, but if he's shooting them wrong, it doesn't matter, and you have to worry about the, yep. the rhythm. You know, sometimes you're like, "Well, coach, I made 17 in a row. Well, did you do anything else? Well, what do you mean? Like, you just sat, sat there and shot 17 straight free throws, right? You don't do that in a game. Yep. You, know, you can't even get three free throws in a row, even if you shoot a three and get fouled. You know, there's going to be substitutions. You know, defensively, you teach your kids like, "Hey, if he makes the first one, make sure you switch with somebody." So there's some sort of pause in the sure. flow and everything. So, you know, it's one of those things that. It just you have to practice. You have to practice well, and you just have to cre- trying to recreate those conditions and practice in terms of you're worn out. The pressure. It's easy to hit it in your empty gym on a Saturday morning when there's nobody else there. But try it on a Friday night. It's a conference game. Oh yeah. And those types of things are on the line. And just some kids have it, and just other times it just for whatever reason you can't get them to to figure that out. So to round out my uh, Mount Rushmore for. Excuse me, not Southern Illinois. I apologize, Redbird fans, for Illinois State. Paris Lee, 2013 to 2017. The 2017 team finished with what I believe is a school record 28 wins. From what I could figure out, it's at least a Division One record for 28 regular season wins. And that's the team that fell in the title game after they went 17-1 and in league play, had tied with Wichita State. I believe that was Wichita State's last game in, uh, in the league. Um so that's you talk about again all those games in St. Louis that you know Illinois State's been on Sunday several times. He's still the school leader in steals, and ultimately this is why I put him on the list. He won both the Larry Bird Trophy and the Defensive Player of the Year award in 2017. Only three guys have done it. It's been done four times. Now, granted, they've only had the Defensive Player of the Year award since. 1989, I believe. So you're looking at 22 guys that have ever even been there. So I figured that alone was was deserving of him being on there. And just Paris Lee was a great, was a fun guy to watch play. You never knew when he might pull up from three feet behind the three point line and and stick one in your eye. You're like, well, coach, how was I supposed to defend that? (laughs) Because if I go out and guard him, he's going to blow my doors off and he's going to the rim. So he was just a, a key part to that. Those uh, two years there where Illinois State was really tough in the middle of the 2010s. So that wraps up mine. Uh, guys on the message boards, I'd love to get some feedback from you and see what you guys think of our uh, Mount Rushmore's. If we made some huge mistakes, let us know. If you like it, let us know too. Yeah, I, I will say I do think I need to, I should probably get better at talking about like how the teams were when, when my guys were playing at that school. So it gets a little bit better of a, I don't know. People get more of a, I guess, a rhythm of how important they were to the team they were on. So I'll do that next week, and I next week I'll have Jacksonville State. But with that, uh, you got any final thoughts here, uh, TJ? Well, um, going back in the history of the Missouri Valley Conference, Louisville's been a huge program in the history of the MVC. West Unseld, Louisville great, NBA great, um, played for that the Baltimore Bullets and and the Washington Bullets. I think it was both of them that he played for, but he passed away, unfortunately, in the last week. I feel like this is the third week in a row coming with some some sad news, but again, we want to recognize the greatness of those players and, you know, you got to recognize those that came before us to appreciate those that will uh, come today. So I guess what I'd like to kind of wrap it up with is, 
you know, as I check in and see like where all our listeners come from, um, it looks like one of the heavy areas comes from Atlanta, Georgia. Well, yeah, I mean, Atlanta, Georgia, isn't that what you think of when you think of Ohio Valley Conference, Missouri Valley Conference, Atlanta, Georgia? And then you said our second leading city is in New Jersey. Brooklyn, New York, actually. Brooklyn, New York, you know, which. And so I'm just kind of curious. I'm like, if if you feel the need, maybe shoot us an email and just kind of let us know, like, are, do you have a player that's uh, playing in one of the schools or former player or. Did you graduate from one of the schools or just kind of let us know? Like, uh, Yeah, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear what your connection is and what got you interested in our podcast. And, you know, tell all your friends and your friends' friends and heck, even tell your enemies. I don't care. <laughs> they, if they listen to it for two seconds, it sounds like a full listen for us. And the email, TJ, is? Valleysmailbag at gmail.com. Valleys with an S, mailbag at gmail.com. Yeah, so if you don't have Twitter, please send us an email and... uh and let us know, uh, you know, if there's a certain reason you're listening or, you know. Yeah, if you want to give us feedback be. about our, yeah. you know, or tell us in the future. Like, if you can find anyone from Indiana State, I don't know if they have anyone that's going to belong. On, <laughs> 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 you know, they might, they might have had a guy that, I don't know, probably even before you were born that, that might have been decent at one time. <laughs> <laughs> we joke. We kid. Please don't, <laughs> don't send us emails going, you haven't heard of this guy. We know who we're talking about. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that'll wrap up episode five. And again, a special thanks to Coach Lennox Forrester for taking time out of his day to join the show. For TJ Hoover, I am Chris Smith. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to tune in next week as Dave Reynolds from the Peoria Journal Star joins the show as we discuss the Missouri Valley and the Bradley Braves. Also next week, we will have our Mount Rushmore on Indiana State and Jacksonville State. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple and give us a follow on Twitter at ViewValleysPod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.